Hey, Pastor Bobby here. I'm so glad you're joining us to hear what God is sharing with our community here at Chapel. And I pray, I am praying right now for you, that this message will bless you. It'll be an inspiration to you. It will challenge you to be who God has called you to be and to do what God has called you to do. And so as we jump into the message, I pray that you open up your mind to God's word, open up your heart to God's spirit, and watch the two come together to bring a supernatural miracle in your life. So let's jump into what God is speaking to us right now. So if you would stand to your feet as we read First Peter chapter 2, verse 9 together. And, this, and I know we've been sitting on this for a couple weeks, but this is one of the most powerful scriptures in the Bible for you personally. And if you can memorize it, if you can read it, if you can meditate on it, it will transform your mind and your life. And Peter says this, but you are a chosen race, we talked about last week, but a royal priesthood. Everybody say priesthood. A royal priesthood. He's calling you a priest. Touch your neighbor and say, what's up, Rev? Like you're sitting next to a reverend. Father, pastor, minister. Like he's calling you a priest. He's saying when you're saved, you become a a kingdom of priests. Like you are a priest, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim. Why? So that you can proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. He says you are a priest. He calls you a minister a pastor, a reverend. He calls you a priest. And I don't know about you, but, uh, you know, priests that wear robes and their little collar, they freak me out a little bit. I'll be honest, they, they made me a little bit nervous. And I don't think that's what Jesus was talking about through the scripture. I don't think he's saying, hey, you need to start wearing a robe to work and let everybody know, hey, I'm, I'm the priest here at my job. I don't think that's what he's meaning. I think what he's referring to is you have exclusive Exclusive access to everything God has. Father, we thank you. That, Father, when there was a separation between us and you and your inheritance and your promises and your blessings, that you sent your son, your only son, to come down and rip the veil that separated your presence from us. Father, granting us access to everything you have in store for us. And I pray in these next few moments that you awaken our minds, you awaken our hearts, and you stir our spirits to realize everything we have access to in you, that you break religious strongholds that make us think that every promise is in the future, that you break religious strongholds making us think that we access you when we get to heaven, and let us know that we access your presence right here, right now, in every moment of our lives. Father, we bless you, we thank you in Jesus' name, and all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. So you are a priest, and the Catholic Church kind of robbed that terminology a couple thousand years ago. And in robbing that terminology, they made it seem like only an elite class of people had access to God. And really, that was an Old Testament doctrine or theology that the New Testament church, after the age of the apostles, around 330, when, when Constantine came into power and made Christianity the religion of the Roman Empire, created a class of citizens that were elites that they called priests. 
then you had to start going to them and through them in order to access God, to pray to God, to receive from God. And in doing so, we started thinking about priests like the Catholic priest. When Jesus was talking through Peter to us in the scripture, he was not referring to a special elite class of people. He was referring, using terminology from the Old Testament, in the Old Testament priest, this is what they were. A priest is someone who serves God and has exclusive, special access to God. So when Jesus in the scripture is saying, you are a priest, he's saying, listen, you are called to serve God, but you also have exclusive, special, VIP access to the presence of God. No longer is it for special people, now it's for all people. And when that access, everything that God has in his presence is yours. You have access to, it's like you now have the password to enter in to God's bank account. You don't have the password to obtain and access every promise, every blessing, every inheritance. We're talking about joy. We're talking about peace. We're talking about healing. We're talking about favor. Everything in God's bank account, you now have access to. And guess what? You don't have to scam anybody to get it. Like he wants to give it to you. It's special access. Uh, I think it was like a year ago or two years ago, I was speaking at a conference. I really didn't know what the conference was. I just got a friend of mine asked me if I'd sit on a panel and talk about leadership stuff. And so I went, and when I showed up, I show up, I'm a little bit early because I like to be everywhere. I'd rather be an hour early than five minutes late, unlike someone else in my household. So I get there about an hour early. I'm in the green room, and then I heard a couple people that I knew was at the conference. So I'll go out and speak to them. When I come back into the conference or in the green room, I realize there's more people in the green room. One of them is a multi-Grammy award-winning artist. Another one is one of the main voices for Dave Ramsey into the young millennial and urban markets. Another guy is one of the biggest named preachers in America, and then there's me. And I thought, what in the world am I doing here? Even on the panel, like when they introduced us, they introduced the, the lady in front of me, they're like, multi-Grammy Award winner, fashion designer, entrepreneur. They had listed all these things, and they get to me, and they're like, and Bobby, uh, Pastor Chapel. And I was like, you, know, you could have lied or something made me feel better about myself. And like, so I'm in this green room, and I've been given VIP access. My talents didn't get me there. My name certainly did not get me there. I didn't earn my way into this room to access all these people. The reason I was in the room is because I had a relationship with someone who granted me favor that gave me access to a place I had no business being. In the same way, you find yourself in the presence of God, not because you earn your way, not because your talents, not because you, you worked your way and your name was good enough, only because you had a relationship with Jesus and he gave you his favor to grant you access. He says, here's my password, here's my username, have fun. But it's a wonder to me that if we have so much access, why does it look like the Christian church, we as believers, don't really have anything God promised us? Why do we lack joy? Why do we lack hope? Why do we lack peace? Why do we lack healing? Why do we lack power? 
And I think it's because we don't realize what we've been given access to. Jesus, when he encountered the woman at the well in John chapter 4, encounters this woman at the well. She was getting water. He says, hey, woman, would you give me a cup of water? Which is never how you start a conversation with a woman. <laughs> Ever. Jesus says, woman, give me a cup of water. She's like, Psh, who are you talking to? And he starts to tell her, he says, listen, where's your husband? She's like, well, he's not. He, and he starts prophesying over her about her past and directing her to her future. She says, well, sir, you know, I'm a Samaritan and you're a Jew, and we argue about which mountain we're going to worship on. Mount Gerizim, which is where the Samaritans worshiped, or Mount Zion, where Jews worship, or the Temple Mount, where Jews worship. And she starts defining this location. And Jesus tells her, he says, listen, there's going to come a time and place where we don't worship on Mount Gerizim or, or even the Temple Mount, that we worship in spirit and in truth. And so he was really trying to break down a stronghold in her life because she felt like and thought that worship or the access to God was based on a physical location. So if you'll throw up that slide of the tabernacle. So this is what she thought of when she thought of access. She was thinking of the most holy places, which are the Ark of the Covenant, God's presence dwelt on earth. She thought there's one of these on Mount Gerizim, there's one of these on which was now the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. She's saying, which one of these locations do we worship at? And as she's explaining it, this is how she was brought up. That if you look, there's an outer court, there's an inner court of the holy place, then there's a most holy place, which is the holy of holies. The most holy place was a place where the presence of God dwelt on earth. No one had access to the holy place, or the most holy place, except for the high priest, and he only had that access one day a year. The rest of the year, they all stayed on the outside of this. And the, t the camp, Israel would camp out around this tabernacle. So a couple of million people were on the outside looking into the tabernacle. Only a select few, the Levites, could be in the, the outer courtyard or the holy place to serve God. And so when she's saying, listen, you're saying this stuff about spirit and truth. Where would we worship at? This mountain or that mountain? And which location would I be at in this access to the Spirit? Because the Spirit is locked away in this holy place. And Jesus says, listen, you've got it wrong. That your worship, there's going to come a time and place. Your worship, your access to the presence of God is not about a location. It's about a spiritual position. And I, he's trying to nail this down. There's going to come a time. Where when you access a bank, it's not about going to a physical bank anymore. It's going to be about the position or logging on where you can access everything anywhere in the world. Jesus is trying to say, no longer do you have to go to a physical mountain or location. You'll be able to access my spirit and access my blessings and access my inheritance anywhere in the world. Even in Florence, Alabama even in Doko, Haiti, even in Green Bay, Wisconsin, and yes, even on the other side of the river. He said there's a time coming. The problem is many of us as believers still worship like this lady at the well. We think we come into the presence of God at a church. We think we come into the presence of God on Sunday morning. 
not realizing it's no longer about accessing the presence of God at a physical location. Now it's about a spiritual position. If you'll throw that back up one more time, I want to show you something. So you have three sections of the tabernacle, which represents God's presence on earth. You have the outer courts, the inner courts, and the most holy place. The outer courts, the inner courts, and the most holy place. You could transcribe, if I could write over this, it could be body, soul, and spirit. Body, soul, and spirit. You'd have millions of people on the outside of this looking in. They were spectators to the presence of God. They weren't accessing, they were spectators. Then you have some people in the outer court where they're just worshiping through the motions. Maybe their hands are raised, maybe they're making a sacrifice, but it's just their body trying to worship God. Then you have the soul, which is the inner place. That could be your emotions, that there's emotional worship or a heartfelt worship or an expression from the heart. But then there's the most holy place, which is spiritual. And Jesus said, I'm looking for people who will worship me in spirit and truth. Not just in body, not just in style, not just in your emotions. And we've all seen emotional worship. But my problem right now in church world it's not emotional worship, it's the lack of worship. Because it was worship that brought you in from the outer gate into the outer court, into the inner court, into the holy place. It was the worship that took you into the presence of God. And if we were honest, there's a lot of people that still worship in the same format. I would call this three dimensions of worship and everybody in this room is in one of the three dimensions, even maybe a fourth. The fourth would be all the people on the outside looking in because they don't realize they'd be given access to the temple. Some of you, you come to church every week and you're on the outside looking in. You're a spectator when it comes to worshiping God. Some of you maybe have moved into the outer courtyard. Maybe you sing. Maybe you kind of roll a little bit with it. Some of you, maybe you've moved into the soul. Maybe it's a little bit emotional. Maybe certain songs trigger an emotion. Maybe certain songs trigger a response. Maybe you get caught up in the moment. But very few people ever make it to the spiritual worship. And the spiritual worship is where the presence of God dwells. It's where we connect and commune heart to heart with our Savior. It's where the password is granted. When I was in the Air Force, I was stationed at Fort Meade, Maryland at the National Security Agency. We had a, a security badge we had to wear. And to get on base, so base was like this outer level. You get on base, you had to show them your ID card and your badge. And they let you on the base. You had access to a, a whole lot of stuff. You had the, the commissary, you had the BX, you had a golf course, you had a gym or two. But then to get into the National Security Agency side, there was another gate. At that gate, you had to have your security badge. And they let you through that gate. Once you got that gate, that's where I lived. That was where my barracks were. There's also another gym, more stuff. Then to get into the National Security Agency, there was another gate. You had to show them your badge again. Then you get to the building, there was turnstiles with a security guard. He would check your badge again. Then to get into your place, mine was a, was a skiff down in the basement of the National Security Agency where some of the most top secret things in the world are discovered and discussed. In order to get into that or the most holy place, you had to put your badge on there again and put in your password. 
here's my problem. Some of you have been given access to the Holy of Holies, but you've gotten content just being part of the camp. All of you have been given access to the promises and blessings and inheritance in the presence of God, which the Israelites would have died to be the high priest. And now it's become common to us, but maybe you've moved into the outer court where you're, you're worshiping a little bit with your, with your mind and maybe with your hands, with your body, but you've gotten content and you still haven't really truly experienced the presence of the Lord. Then maybe some of you, maybe you're emotional people. Maybe you move beyond the body. Maybe you're emotionally involved in worship where you're connected. You feel a response. You feel joyful. You feel excited. And you've gotten content with emotional worship. And in doing so, you've never really made it into the presence of the Lord. What's crazy is just like Jesus just wiped out the whole tabernacle, opened up the whole thing. He ripped this veil in half which they think was 30 feet high and four inches thick. They said you could tie the veil to two horses, let them go different directions, and it could not be torn by two horses. Yet the moment Jesus was on the cross and he said, it is finished. He wasn't talking about his work being done because we know he's sitting at the right hand of the Father now in our city. But he said, it is finished. He's saying, he's torn down this veil, not just to let us in, but to let God into us. See, spiritual worship is not about music. It's not about attitude. It's not about your mind. It's not about your body. It's not about your soul. It is about your spirit being connected to God's spirit. And Jesus was saying, listen, I am the high priest. I've been going in. Now I'm giving you my password. Now I'm letting you go where only I could go. Now I'm letting you go where I thought no one else could go. Now you have the same access to the Father as Jesus had. The problem with that is the presence of God is now everywhere. Like it's no longer con contained to Jerusalem or Mount Gerizim. The Spirit of God is no longer compartmentalized or entrapped or contained. The presence of God is everywhere. He is everywhere. He is omnipresent. Touch your neighbor and say, he is everywhere everywhere. I, I run in charismatic circles. I've heard charismatics for way too long. Say, well, if we can just get them in the presence of God, the presence of God changes everything. That is a lie. Everybody's always in the presence of the Lord. We see a whole lot of people in the Bible encounter Jesus or the presence of the Lord and nothing changed. We see a whole lot of people come into worship services where the name of Jesus is lifted up, the presence of God is there, and nothing is changed. The presence of God doesn't change anything. What changes everything is your response to the presence of God. Your response to the presence of God determines what God does in you. Your response to the presence of the Lord determines what you receive from. Your response to the presence of the Lord determines what you receive from him. That's worship. Worship is your response to the presence of the Lord. Worship is your response to the presence of the Lord. And what's amazing is we live in a day and age 
where we don't need more preaching. We don't need more teaching. You can get access to preaching and teaching on YouTube, online. There's a whole lot of great Bible teachers. People need the presence of the Lord. They need the power of the Holy Spirit in their lives. And you can only access the presence of the Lord through worship. And when you begin to respond correctly to the presence of the Lord, you begin to see him from different perspectives and different ways. Your attitude begins to change. Your life begins to change. Your mood begins to change. Your, your views begin to change. Your life begins to change. And so here's some Old Testament words for what worship meant to the Jews. And I'm going to leave that into the New Testament. One is the word halal, which is where we get hallelujah, which means the praise to shine or to boast or to rave about or celebrate. When was the last time you just boasted about the Lord to the Lord? When was the last time you just raved, God, you are so good. Like, God, I'm amazed at where you've brought me from and where you've brought me to. God, your mercies are new to me every single morning. And you celebrate, you raise. That's what the word hallelujah means, meaning I'm gonna celebrate who he is. The word shabak, which is to shout boldly the praises of the Lord. Not, Jesus, you're so good. Jesus, you're awesome. See, when you're excited about somebody, it's exuberant. See, when you're excited about Nick Saban, if Nick Saban walked in the room, I promise you, we would think Jesus showed up. Like, it's the rapture, it's the rapture. No, it's Nick Saban. You'd be exuberant. Why? Because it's an attitude of praise. Then tehillah, which is to sing unrehearsed or unplanned praise, which we would call prophetic praise. It's the word tehillah, not tequila. That's a whole nother praise. The word tada, which is to extend or raise your hands in thanksgiving. Why do we raise our hands at church? Because I'm extending my hand, tada, I'm extending my hands in thanksgiving and surrender. Why do some churches not raise their hands? Because they worship their comfort more than they worship their Savior. Zamar, which is to touch the stringed instruments, mostly rejoicing with instruments. If you're a church of Christ, this is the problem. Meaning we believe our musicians, God is blessed them and anointed them to praise God or zamar God with their gift. The word barak, which is to bow down or kneel before the Lord. And the primary word in Hebrew for praise is the word shakah, which means to bow down and worship your king. So in the Old Testament, the primary word for worship or for praise is to bow down as the king is coming into the room. And the main word for worship in Greek or the New Testament is the word proskinio, which is the same meaning, meaning to kiss the hand or to fall on the knees or to prostrate oneself. Meaning the essence of worship is submission. The essence of worship is not music. The essence of worship is not church attendance. The essence of worship is not style of music. The essence of worship is a surrendered heart to the king. And so it's not the presence of God that changes everything. You are a priest, you have access. But as a priest, are you doing your job? As a priest, you have access. But are you actually doing your job and accessing the God as a worshiper of the Lord? Meaning the presence of the Lord 
doesn't change anything, but your submission and your surrender to the presence of the Lord does. I could put it this way. You can be at church every single week, every time the doors are open. You can be reading the word every single day. You could be in a worship service experience and nothing could be changed. Your heart could be just as hard as it was the week before. Your attitude could be just as bad. You could be an intentional sin just as you were the night before because that doesn't change anything. The only thing that changes you is your surrender or submission to the things of the Lord. Dr. Matthew Stevenson, one of my favorite preachers, said this way. He said, many of you have submitted or surrendered enough to be saved, but not enough to be changed. And if there was ever a quote that should be preached in the Bible Belt, that is the quote. Many of you in this room have surrendered to Jesus enough to be saved, but you have not surrendered to him enough to be changed. Submission, surrender. And I, and, and I know I talked to a lot of atheists and they would be like, well, why would I want to worship a God who's so narcissistic that he needs me to surrender and bow down and submit myself to him? Like I've heard this a thousand times. Why would I want to worship a God? He creates all these people just to worship him. It's so narcissistic and it's so this. And it's, it's a stupid question because God knows that you are going to worship something. Everyone in this room is worshiping something. Some of you are worshiping your kids. Some are worshiping your screens. Some are worshiping your job. Some are worshiping your bank account. Some are worshiping the American dream. Everyone in this room is worshiping. God knows that. God knows that everyone's going to worship something or someone. And he also knows that every other thing you worship will steal from you and take from you. They'll take your time, they'll take your joy, they'll take your heart, they'll take your life, they'll take your hope. Everything in the world you worship will steal from you, except for God. When you worship God, you surrender to God, he doesn't take from you, he gives to you. When you worship God, he doesn't take anything from you, he gives you his inheritance. He doesn't take away hope, he gives you hope. He doesn't take away your joy, he gives you. God knows that when you surrender to him and submit to him, you don't leave empty-handed. When you lay down and worship anything else, when you leave, you leave empty-handed, empty-hearted, and empty-lifed. He knows it. See, that's why God doesn't need our worship. We need to worship. Our worship is not to God's benefit. He has angels in heaven that I promise you sing much better than you do that are flying around for all of eternity, screaming out, holy Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. All of eternity. And every time, I've heard many preachers say, every time those angels swarm and fly around the throne of God, they see a different aspect, a different characteristic, and a different beauty of who God is. He doesn't need our worship. It's not to God's benefit that we worship. It's to your benefit that you worship. Touch your neighbor and say, it's your benefit. Here's what the Archbishop of Canterbury said. He's Catholic. This is what he said about worship. This is the greatest definition of worship I've ever read. He said, worship is the submission of all of our nature to God. 
not just our physical attendance, but all of it, your mind, your heart, your spirit, your soul. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, meaning the conviction of his spirit, the nourishment of mind by his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, and submission of will to his purpose. And all this gathered up in adoration is the greatest of human expression of which we are capable. What he's saying is, when you worship, you receive more benefits than you could ever dream of. And there's two, two benefits I want to share with you real quick. Number one is this. God never changes. But when you worship him, you change. God never changes. But when you worship him, you change. If it's been a while since you've changed or grown spiritually, you may want to check your worship level. Because here's something I've learned. Worship leaks. Whatever you worship, if you don't go through worship, it leaks in that adoration, that attitude, that faith level decreases, and you have to fill it back up. Here's 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12. It says this. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face so the Israelites might not gaze at the outcome of what was being brought to an end. Talk about this tabernacle. But their minds were hardened. For to this day, when they read the Old Covenant, the same veil remains unlifted because only through Christ is it taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses is read, a veil lies over their heart. Some of you in this room, there's still a veil over your heart. A veil over the heart. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory. Everybody say beholding. It means giving your attention to or focusing on the glory of the Lord. Are being what? Transformed or changed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is spirit. He's saying whatever you give your attention to, that's what you will become like. He's saying if you behold the glory of the Lord, you'll be transformed from one image to another in the likeness of Jesus. Meaning, you are not transformed by reading the Bible. We know a whole lot of people that know the Bible in and out, and their life does not reflect the image of Christ. He's saying as you behold the image, the presence of God, you'll be transformed into his image. As you respond to the presence of the Lord, you'll be transformed to look more like him. Meaning whatever you give your attention to, that's what you'll look like. That's what you'll look like. So if we were to do an audit of your time, what are you giving most of your attention to? Because 20 minutes, 25 minutes on a Sunday morning is not enough time to behold the glory of the Lord. The angels are doing it 24-7, 365 for all of eternity. They are beholding his glory. And whatever you give your attention to, you empower to mold you and form you into its image. 
If you focus on your sin, your sin will mold you into its image. If you focus your eyes on lust, it will form you in its image. If you stare and you focus and you give your attention to money, money will mold you and form you into its image. Whatever you give your attention to will begin to mold you and form you because that's what idols do. See, we we think of idols as when you form or mold idols. No, no, no. Idols form and mold you. Like they form and mold you to look just like them. Exodus chapter 30, if you're doing the Bible reading plan with us, the Bible in one year, it goes through Exodus chapter 30. And it talks about Moses on the mountain. He's in the presence of the Lord. And before he comes down, he's spending so much time just beholding the glory of God that the Hebrews get frustrated. Like maybe Moses is dead. Maybe he's not coming back. What are we going to do? Aaron, Form us another God. What? Literally, God just brought you over the Red Sea and wiped out the greatest military on earth. You can't give Moses like a couple of days with the guy. He's on top of the mountain and God's like, whoa, 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 you better get down there now. These people are stiff-necked. And he goes down. What he finds is all these Hebrews who knew God had delivered them now took all their gold earrings, all their gold jewelry, and Aaron formed them into a golden calf. And they said, this is a now our God. This is the God who delivered us from Egypt. Now they knew that calf did not deliver them. But what happens is many times we like to make a God that seems more tangible to us and accommodates what we actually want. See, idolatry these days is not about, I can't, if I went to your house for dinner, I don't think I'd find any golden calves. I may find a few Saban statues in there somewhere. But we don't mold idols anymore. So what we do though, we have idolatry just the same. Instead of molding or engraving idols, we form an image of God in our minds or created engraven idol in our minds that accommodates our lifestyle and then we worship that image. What that means is if you worship the one true living God, he will never accommodate your lifestyle. He'll expect your lifestyle to accommodate his holiness. But when you create an image in your mind of what your God may be like, and if he approves of everything you do, if he accommodates your lifestyle, you don't worship God, you worship a golden calf. Because when you worship the one true living God, you should be changed to look, to act, to behave, and to love just like him. See, I'm a Bible guy. But the Bible is not going to change you. The Bible has never been enough. Like never. That's it. Even Jesus said, go wait for the Holy Spirit to come. Why? The Bible is not a, enough. We all know people who know the Bible backwards and forwards who are not changed. We all know the Bible is not enough. And I, I love the Bible. But if you're not submitted and surrendered to the spirit of the Bible, you're never going to be transformed. If the Bible says to do something and you don't do it, you're never going to be transformed by it. See, when you surrender to the spirit of the Bible, 
That's when it transforms you and changes you from the inside. That's where worship comes into play. See, your mind can be renewed by the word, but your heart is changed through the presence and the spirit of God. And there's a lot of you, you have the mind, but you need the heart. That's why we're a word and spirit church. We don't want to just learn about the word. We want to be transformed by the spirit of the word in our lives because none of us are where we need to be. All of us need to be transformed as as Moses here from one degree of glory to another. Because better, you're like, pastor, I thought there was benefits. I don't want to change. This one gets even better. When you change, you realize God doesn't need your worship but you need to receive from God and you receive from God through worship. Check this out. Hebrews chapter four, verse 14. Since then, we have a great high priest who is Jesus, who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. Meaning our high priest, Jesus, knows our struggles, knows our temptation, knows our fears, knows our worries, knows our heartaches, and he can sympathize with us. But one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. 16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. You know what the throne of grace was in the Old Testament? The mercy seat in the Holy of Holies. So he's telling the Hebrews here something they could not do in the Old Testament. Now you can do through the blood of Jesus. Let us draw near to the throne of grace. Why? So if we're processing, we're going through the tabernacle, through worship, into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God, because we'll be given access. Why would you want to surrender and submit your life and your heart to the presence of God? He says, as you boldly come to him, you may receive, everybody say receive. He doesn't say read the Bible so that you may receive. He doesn't say go to church so that you receive. He doesn't say, you know, you know, pray more that you may receive. He says to come boldly, to come, to enter, to walk in the presence of the Lord, to confidently or boldly come to the throne of grace or the presence of the Lord so that you may receive his mercy and his grace. See, many of you do not receive what God wants for you. You don't have the hope that he wants for you. You don't have the joy that he wants for you. You don't have the peace that he wants for you. You haven't seen the promises answered that you're looking for. You haven't seen your prayers answered that you've been praying for because you sit back and wait for God to bring him to you. The scripture says you have to go to him. You're waiting. And you know why you're waiting? Because you're not surrendered. You want God to be surrendered to you. See, waiters serve the people. And when you're waiting on God to bring his presence to you, you're expecting him to be your waiter or your server. The scripture says, if you want what God has for you, you must go into the throne room and go get it. And we know that mercy is not getting what you deserve. He says, come into my throne room so that I can not give you what you deserve. But grace is giving us what we do not deserve which means giving us everything Jesus has for us. His bank account becomes our bank account. His access becomes our access. Everything he is 
becomes us. That's the access he's talking about in the scripture. And grace is not just salvation. Grace is God's enabling ability upon your life. Some of you need to get into the throne room to receive mercy for intentional sin, for sinning against God, for doing what you want to do and expecting God to bless it. Some of you need to enter the throne room and receive grace. You need power and an ability and enablement to help you through some things you're going through. But we all need to enter into the presence of God to receive what he has for us. See, because God is a, a father, and as a father, everything God has, when you walk into the presence of God, like if you walked into your father's house, he's not going to compartmentalize himself and say, well, Dad, like my kids ask me for money like every single day. They say, well, Dad, I love you as a father, but can you just be my boss right now and, and give me some money? And I don't take off the dad hat and put that over here and say, well, now I'm your boss. You can do this, 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 and I'll give you the money. And I put the other hat back on. Well, Dad, can, can you come help me coach my basketball team? Well, you know, I'm your father, but let me take that hat off and be your coach. No, as a father, you wear all the hats at the same time. And what that means is when you enter into the presence of God, you don't enter in one day for peace and the next day for joy and next week for, for hope and the next week for love. See, when you enter into the presence of God, everything he is is in his presence. Everything he has is in his presence. If you're looking for joy, where are you going to find it? In his presence. If you're looking for hope, where are you going to find it? In his presence. If you're looking for healing, where are you going to find it? In his presence. If you're looking for peace, where are you going to find it? In his presence. But you have to come into his presence. Just having access is not enough. You have to respond to the access he's given you. You have to come boldly to the throne room of God so he can transform you and change you, but so he can also give you everything he wants for you. And for some of you, I don't know about you, but I have a lot of online accounts and I forget a lot of my passwords. What's cool though, when I forget a password, there's usually this button that says, did you forget your password? You can click that button and it sends you an email and you can renew or reset your password. Some of you, you were given access to God and you haven't used it in so long, you forgot your password. Maybe when you were a teenager, you had access to God at a youth camp or a youth service and you fell in love with the presence of the Lord. And you remember those moments of laying on the carpet, laying on an altar and receiving everything God wanted for you. But it's been so long, you forgot the password. See, the password is easy. The password is the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus gives you access to the presence of Jesus. The blood of Jesus washes you so you can begin to walk boldly and confidently into the throne room of God. And for some of you, today is a day of reckoning where you move from a spectator outside the tabernacle into the holy of holies. For some of you, it is a day you move from worshiping just with the body or those outer courts and you take a step into those inner courts. Maybe that's an altar, maybe that's down front. And as some of you maybe take a step from the inner courts into the holy of holies, where you submit your spirit, you surrender your heart, you surrender your soul, so you can commune love to love, heart to heart, with the presence of God. And let him change you and transform you and mold you, but also let him download everything he wants 
into you. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. I'm going to ask one question. And this is the question. Some of you have been worshiping all the wrong things. And you can tell because your attitude and your perspective are beginning to look like what you're giving your attention to. And maybe it's because you forgot the password to enter into the presence of God. And today God is calling you to behold his glory so he can be to transform you into his image from one degree of glory to the next. And that starts with salvation. Salvation is this. You realize God has given you access, but you respond to that access through faith and repentance. Faith, believing God said it was for you, and repentance by turning away from one thing and turning into his presence. That's you. This is my challenge for you. Nothing's going to change until you respond to the presence of the Lord. And this is your chance to respond. I'm not going to have you come forward, not going to have you come up front, but I'm simply going to ask that your first step of many steps is that you raise your hand to Jesus and say, Jesus, I acknowledge you're speaking to me. That's you. I just want you to raise your hand up right where you are. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? You can put your hands down if you raised them. Father, in Jesus' name, we lift you up in this place. We thank you for the high priest Jesus who gave us access to everything he has and everything he's done. Father, we thank you that they are now ours in Christ. And Father, right now, for these people that raise their hand, I pray right now for all washing with your blood. But Father, a strong stance of faith and repentance away from everything else they've been beholding with their eyes to beholding you and your beauty and your grace and your glory. Father, as they do, I, begin, I pray that you begin to transform them, renew them, and change them from the inside out, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. Two things. If we would stand to your feet. We're going to close this out with worship, and this is my challenge. One, if you raise your hand, if you do me a huge favor, and before you leave, stop by the info center so they can give you a, a booklet to help you on your way, on your journey with Jesus. But two, we're going to take five minutes, and we're going to close this out with worship, which is the response to the presence of the Lord. And I'm challenging everybody in this room to take a step. I know sometimes that's being uncomfortable. I know sometimes that's being different. For some of you, that means just simply lifting your hands for the first time. For some of you, maybe that's taking a step out down front to the altar. For some of you, that's actually singing for the first time. For some of you, that's just actually engaging for the first time. But starting to respond to the presence of God. Because one of the things that Kim Cloud has spoken here for 30 years at this church, he told me we're talking about just parenting. He says, overexposure to the Word of God and being under-responsive to the presence of God is the recipe for a hard heart. Being overexposed, we're overexposed in the Bible Belt, but by being under-responsive is the recipe for a hard heart. So the cure for a hard heart would be to be responsive to the Word and the presence of God. Father, we bless you in this place. And I pray right now for an awakening of the power and the benefit of responding to your presence. Father, I pray for a kingdom of priests in this place.
that have access, but also enter in with the access they've been given to minister to you, to bless your name, to lift up your name, to bow down before their king. So Father, I pray that you move in this place and you shake this place for the foundations all the way to the top. In Jesus' name, amen.